calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to Story Smack. My name is A. Kovacs, and I'm a founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And I am Scott Sigler, New York Times bestselling novelist, and don't misbehave. <laughs> and this is episode number four of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. The last episode, we talked about a Christmas movie, Die Hard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this week, we're talking about what could be classified as a New Year's Eve movie, the 1995 cultish anthology comedy, Four Rooms. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's a line from the movie. <laughs> yeah, as is Don't Misbehave. But Don't Misbehave. <laughs> it's 1995, so some of our listeners probably didn't see it. Okay, uh, okay. But they, but they should. I personally think they should. This is your official notice that this, there's, this is a spoiler cast. Every time we talk about a movie or a book or music or whatever, it's going to be a spoiler yes, cast. Yes. This movie came out in 1995. It's not for everybody, but I loved it, and that's your spoiler warning okay if you haven't seen it or if it's been a while scott why don't you tell us a little bit about what it's about uh, the official synopsis four of the most celebrated directors in the independent film community pooled their talents for this episodic comedy ted played by tim roth is the new bellboy at the beautiful but decaying luxury hotel he is not having a good time of it on new year's eve his first night on the job in one room a coven of witches are trying to summon the spirit of the goddess diana each of the witches must bring a different bodily fluid for their spell to work, but Eva, played by Oni Skye, who was supposed to bring semen, managed to lose her supplies and needs Ted help for a last-minute replacement. Another room, where Ted was supposed to deliver some ice, turns out to house an angry husband, played by David Proval, who is holding his bound and gagged wife, hot-as-hell Jennifer Beals, at gunpoint. A third room is taken by a tough-talking gangster, Antonio Banderas, his doormat wife, Tamlin Tamita, and their two children. The gangster demands that Ted watch over the kids, who turn out to be mischievous terrors beyond Ted's wildest imagination. And room number four is where an arrogant film actor, played by Quentin Tarantino, is holding a party. One of his guests makes a bet that he can get a Zippo lighter to light ten times in a row with his finger at stake if he loses. Alison Anders directed the first segment, which also featured Madonna, Valerie Galino, and Lily Taylor. The second segment was directed by Alexandra Rockwell, husband of his frequent leading lady, Jennifer Beals. Robert Rodriguez directed the third story, while the finale was directed by its star, Quentin Tarantino. The final segment also features Bruce Willis, who appeared unbilled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of stuff going on in there. Absolutely. Bruce Willis, a feature actor in last week's Die Hard That's Christmas movie. That's right. That Bruce Willis connection. Is that why we did this one? No, because it's New Year's Eve. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, happy New Year's Eve, everybody. Yeah. Uh, do you have any plans for the big New Year's Eve? Yes, I do have. I'm going to San Francisco 
but I would live there for 10 years. I'm going back to visit uh, friends for New Year's Eve if I uh, am not dead by then because I feel like ass in a can. Oh, you do. And yes. and I have to say, I know this is telling tales out of school and we normally don't tell tales out of school, but yesterday I arrived at the Lair of Doom and uh, walk in with my dog and you are sitting at your desk, which is close to the front door, and you're in a bathrobe and bedroom slippers and uh, a Christmas story PJ pants that say you'll shoot your eye out and a lion sweatshirt yep. and uh, at an, a big orange knit hat. <laughs> and I literally like stop in the front door like, okay, okay, what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> and you like, it was so sad because you're like, I don't feel so good. <laughs> I have a combo. Uh, I have an interesting combo. Four Rooms, anthology movie. My current malaise, an anthology malaise. I mm. have a cold, which is uh, which is messing me up pretty bad. On top of that, I helped some neighbors move and did something to my back. And I'm pretty much, I think I've had no REM sleep for the last three nights or very Yikes. little REM sleep. So I'm Because you've been partying. I'm literally hallucinating and wandering to different places of the... Uh, different places of the office and just staring at the wall trying to figure out what the hell is going on mm. it's it's not good i'm hoping i can get some nap time in today so if i if i spiral out of control on this podcast today ma'am uh and talk wouldn't about, be the first oh wait <laughs> is if you could tell the difference when i'm easily distracted by things so let's let's discuss this movie so I have to say, I think I said in the intro, I loved this movie when it came out. Uh, I'm very easily impressed, uh, I guess. It's entertaining. It's goofball. I think Tim Roth does this spectacular job. Yep. Um, but let's talk specifically about what what's what. So it's a little bit of a strange movie. I'll totally give you that. Absolutely a cultish movie. Yep. Um, there are four short vignettes, and they're all written and and directed by four different directors. Correct. The four directors are Alison Anders, who does the short The Missing Ingredient. And then Alexander, is it Alexander or Alexander? Alex- I think it's Alexander. Alexander Rockwell does The Wrong Man. And Robert Rodriguez, Be Still My Heart, does The Misbehaviors. <laughs> and my boy Quentin Tarantino does The Man from Hollywood. Yeah, so this is, especially for its time in 1995, just so much directing talent, so much new hot stars at yeah, the time yeah um these were and, all of the these were like the it kids at the time yeah for sure and and you know obviously i think even in 1995 um tarantino is at that moment already blessed by the miramax or by the weinstein brothers mm-hmm. and miramax and stuff like that okay um and robert rodriguez is already blessed by quentin tarantino so allison anders starts she um she is a female director. She has a lot of sort of female-centric um, or uh, woman-woman love story sort of movies. Okay. She starts with um, Border Radio in 1987 and then does Gas, Food, and Lodging, which up until she does Four Rooms is the thing that she's most well-known for. Okay. And is a great movie. That and Mi Vida Loca, My Crazy Life, both of those are things that if you haven't seen, you probably... And, and you're homesick like maybe Scott Sigler is. Uh, maybe yeah. you want to take a, a, a retrospective look at that. Those are both great movies. She also did Grace of My Heart in 1996. And then Four Rooms mm-hmm. uh, came out, actually shot shot um, 
just after uh, Grace of My Heart, but comes out after. And then in around 1999, she moves into movie. I'm, I'm sorry, she moves into TV. Okay. And you have found out she did a handful of um, directing of Sex in the City. Yeah. And has recently done an episode of Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Cold case. A uh, bunch. She appears to be appears to be much happier. But coming into 1995, when... Um, Four Rooms Was Shot. She had done three features while Robert Rodriguez had done a couple little things, but El Mariachi, which if you have not seen El Mariachi, go, we should do a story smack just on El Mariachi. It's it's friggin', it's friggin' amazing. He shot it. He is the poster boy for the indie filmmaker. I mean, I know Quentin Tarantino sort of indie, he's in, Quentin Tarantino is indie with a big budget. Uh, Robert Rodriguez did El Mariachi on, you've told me this, like I'm just, yeah, on, I, did, cr- I think it was a $7,000, $7,000 budget. So he does that, does that in 1992. It's fantastic. And then Desperado 1995 with, uh, Antonio Banderas, which is basically El Mariachi with a big budget. Exactly. Yeah. And we should, maybe should do the, the interesting idea of ha- if you are sitting at home saying like, yeah, I want to write a book. I want to do a podcast. I want to yeah. do a thing. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is a great, and El Mariachi is a great example of how to do a million things wrong to do one thing right. Yep. And a million things right to do one thing right along the way. He took a lot of risks. And it, I love that it paid off because now he's happy and mm-hmm. has a bunch of kids mm-hmm. and now makes kid movies because his kids can see them and stuff like that so yeah we should do that so he did four rooms in 95 like the rest of them and then dusk till dawn 1996 which is a i love it's there's a lot of problems with that movie but i love 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 that movie the faculty in 98 which is a fun crazy horror movie of josh hartnett um and then home starts to get paid does spy kids spy kids 2 that's 2001 2002 he goes on to do Once Upon a Time in Mexico, 2003, Sin City, which is visually mm-hmm. spectacular in 2005, Grindhouse slash Planet Terror, 2007, and one of our favorites here in the world of the Sigliverse, Machete. Machete. Machete in, Kills. In 2010. And that, yeah. I just learned today, looking up facts on this movie, Machete Kills in Space is announced. So they oh. are doing Machete Kills in Space, but no release date yet. You know, I know we're talking on Stories to Mac. It's about storytelling in general, but so far we focused a lot on movies. But And I'm such a big movie fan, so I have to say, if you haven't seen Machete, you yeah. absolutely should. It's goofball. It's right on the nose. They are poking fun at the genre while being completely serious in the moment. Oh, my God. It, yeah, it's something not to be missed. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. We saw it at Sigler Fest one year and Mel, as a group. Mel Gibson, uh, in a, maybe a career saving i can't remember what was going on with his life at that time but he does it he's just dead serious about his role just dead serious it's friggin' <laughs> awesome um okay so and then moving on to alexander rockwell who we haven't seen as much from since 1995 okay. um he did uh three movies before four rooms sons in the soup and Someone to Love. Then he does Four Rooms in 1995. Uh-huh. And then moves and does a handful of other ones. I have actually seen Lewis and Frank, which came out in 98. But I've okay. not seen the rest of the movies that are listed on his IMDb page. 13 Moons, Paul Pete Smalls is Dead, Little Feet, and In the Same Garden. Not, but In the Same Garden is 2016. So he's, he's certainly still working. Maybe, he's, yeah. maybe he's, don't call it a comeback. He was been in Four Rooms for years. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the final director, my personal favorite, a huge inspiration for my writing, the work that I do, my book writing, Quentin Tarantino. He did Reservoir Dogs in 92, Pulp Fiction in 94, already just a crazy superstar, then rolls into uh, to Four Rooms. Uh, after that, he does Jackie Brown, 
Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 in 2003 2004, respectively. His Grindhouse film, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards in 2009, which is awesome. Django Unchanged in 2012, which is awesome. And The Hateful Eight in 2015, which we haven't decided if we like it or not because we have to see it again. That's true. That's true. I will say, uh, yeah, uh, to be clear, you're saying that Tarantino is your favorite director, not yeah. your favorite of the four directors in Four Rooms, or are you saying both? Both. 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 My favorite for Four Rooms is um, is um, The Misbehaviors. It's, it's, so, it's yeah. so good. It's so good. So let's, well, let's, let's talk about the four segments then. Okay. So first, though, we have to give it up for Tim Roth. He is oh, so yeah. spectacularly bizarre and weird in this movie. Yeah. Um, and he's sassy and he's this is sort of spunky. And the, the movie opens with him on his first day on the job, which is New Year's Eve at this uh, storied Hollywood hotel. And he's in a little teeny tiny bellman uniform and a tiny hat and a tiny jacket. And um, he's taking over the reins from the bellman who's retiring, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy's like, Okay, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. You don't ever, ever, ever have sex with a guest. You don't ever do this, you don't <laughs> yeah. ever do this. And uh, it's a casual conversation, but you, I didn't realize at the moment, he's telling him all the things he's going to do that night. Yes, he is. Uh, yes, but he I is. Did, it, it's a slow burn, so I didn't see that. And he's super excited and you know polished and, and jaunty. And he frequently adjusts the tilt of his little <laughs> his Bellman rakish hat. Bellman hats, yeah. yes. He's just uh, so, there's so much physical comedy in this tim roth i mean when we watched the beginning of it uh i was like geez i think he's you know i really think he's channeling his inner jerry lewis like all the physical comedy and then they actually touch i won't spoil it but they touch on that later on in the movie they also touch on the whole jerry lewis angle so i think we were dead on with that but just facial expressions body language the way he walks he does almost all of his acting work in this is is physical expression and not necessarily what he says yeah, which is kind of an interesting thing because that really brings it to the forefront the idea that a movie is by definition not a book, which mm-hmm. sounds weird because we see books made into movies all the time. But this is a really good example. This specific performance is a really good example of there are things that you cannot capture on a page. Right. Talking about Tim Roth, if, the, if it was going to go back the other way and somebody was going to write a four rooms book... It would take pages to kind of talk about how he dances down the hallway and adjust his rakish hat and all that other stuff. And it wouldn't deliver. It wouldn't come come across. It wouldn't even come close to carrying the same, you know, one little twitch of his face, one little twitch of his face and a tilt of his head. As someone who writes novels, you can write those things all you want. It will not, it will not communicate the same story at all. Right. And so I find that um, when you see such a spectacular example of an actor bringing something or a director bringing something very specific to the story at large, um, I find that really charming because often, you know, the, the, the useful and good things about filmmaking are in, are invisible, just like book design. Our um, mm-hmm. diva of design, Donna Mugavero, puts together all the G- the physical GFL books. Uh-huh. She does a brilliant job. She asks you a thousand questions. Do you like this font better? Do you like that font better? I was going to put the logo here. I was going to do it this way. I think we should do these with these square edges, yep. things like that, that no one ever sees. And <sighs> this is a good example of that. This is the, in this case, these four stories, and we'll talk specifically about the stories shortly, um, <laughs> They, on purpose, were written by the director. Mm-hmm. That was the goal of the, the Miramax. This is a Miramax movie, and that was the goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So you have to think, well, okay, Tarantino is a great storyteller, but he's not a writer. Exactly. You know, he's a storyteller. It's Mm -hmm. a different thing. And so then directing his actor and bringing more out of that is charming. And the other thing about this is Tim Roth kind of is is undirected in his Bellman role when he's in the hallways, right? When he's going from Pete's piece to piece from from short to short That's an interesting point yeah. he's kind of undirected so he's not he can't be undirected he's an actor so he's work and he's clearly doing a great job so i wonder who directs all the I interstitials wonder. i wonder with that yeah but anyway let's talk a little bit about the stories themselves okay. the first one is called the missing ingredient as you say it's a covet or you said in the um movie voiceover guy it's a coven of witches <laughs> looking to bring back the spirit of their witch goddess diana diana and that has, let's see, Sammy Davis as Jezebel, uh, Amanda DeCadene. Uh, trivia from the 1980s, married, uh, was for a time married to Duran Duran's John Taylor. Oh, wow. Uh, Valerie Galino, Madonna, Ioni Sky, I may have got that up in my, uh, messed that up in my, re- mm-hmm. see, there's, there's the lack of sleep coming in right there. Mm-hmm. Lily Taylor, Alicia Witz. And it's, it's a strange film and I'm, and I'm not a, not a big fan of it. The first, the first yeah, short, not a big yeah, fan of it. it's it's fun. It's totally for me. It's a little bit. It's a, it was a great way to start because they're all beautiful in there. You know, Lily Taylor is very Lily Taylor, man. Like she's yeah, very she's hippie as shit. He, very hippie, no makeup, long hair, flannel shirt. Alicia Witt, who goes on to do other things as she grows up, is quite young in this, which is kind of nice. Um, she was the goth girl. She's the goth girl. Okay. And then the important part of this for me, Madonna in a black vinyl gorgeous dress and she's she's sort of at the height of her come at me madonna phase and uh and it she actually doesn't fare very well as an actress in general uh but i think she does great because they are kind of giving her i I, there's a lot of people who disagree but they're kind of saying like just be just be madonna just be your thing not only not only did she not fare well as an actress she won the 1995 razzie for the best supporting actress yeah uh, worst supporting actress yeah which i I feel like you know madonna does a lot and madonna acts every time she goes on stage uh there's no doubt about it so to say she's not a good actress is not fair it might be fair to say she's not a good stage film tv actress (laughs) <laughs> she wasn't in this one. If you don't know, the Razzies are, I don't even know who puts it on, but it's out at the same time as the Oscars. The Oscars celebrates the best of the best. The Razzie celebrates the worst of yes. the worst. Razzie short for raspberry. <laughs> Razzie short for raspberry. So that was the missing ingredient. I mean, there's not that much to say about it. They're trying, it's a coven of witches. It's a lot of completely over the top acting and it's fun, but the story the story didn't connect with me at all. I just was like, okay, well, this can't, th- this won't be on much longer. We'll get to the other stories. Maybe that's because you don't have an inner goddess Diana. I, this, I, and I'm not even, I'm not even razzing you. Haha. <laughs> Is that might very well be part of it. I am an action, action movie oriented, yeah. uh, fast talking dialogue oriented guy. And something like a slow burn like that was just like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, like a chick flick. Yeah, and I had said already, my favorite is The Misbehaviors, the Robert Rodriguez of these four. But I do like this one because it's light and fluffy and goofy. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times there's, uh, which is, this is not the form to talk about it, but there may be another story smack where we sort of talk about like people who have uh, and sort of are relegated to ancillary type roles, like the short squat Danny DeVito, sure. Joe Pesci kind of character okay. is never a leading man or or is rarely a leading man. And often women are kind of relegated to 
arm candy or eye candy or whatever. And this one, they're all the things. They're eye candy, they're arm candy, they're the lead actor, they're yeah. the only actors, they're all the things at once. And so I kind of, I like that, but I agree with you that it's a little bit light comparatively, but it's, uh, you know, it's It is fine. also the only, it's the uh, the woman directed segment. It's the only segment with titties. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And cute. Oh, yeah. There was no complaints about many of that. A, they were all a, lovely to look at. I have a question. Sure. I have a like a question for a dude. Okay. I'm a dude. I can answer this. Uh, are, are, are breasts kind of, is there like a breast scale that's sort of like a pizza scale? Like all breasts are good breasts? I mean, there's a variation. Some are prettier than others, but any <sighs> naked boobies are good? Uh, I Yes. Any naked boobies are good. Uh, I could get into the douchebag bro scale, which is a whole separate thing. But uh, yeah, there's, I would say for the vast majority of hetero dudes, and I can't speak for other identifications, but the vast majority of hetero dudes will watch that segment and go, that's, that's awesome. Boobs. Those are, though, that's super fun. Plus they're all just freaking gorgeous. Everybody in that, everybody in that's gorgeous and a slightly, like they're slightly different cast of, well, here's your femme fatale and here's your goth girl and here's your exactly and, and here's your hippie girl and, and here's, here's your 50s your, right. girl like mm-hmm. there's a lot of it like maybe that's why I, I didn't maybe i wasn't paying enough attention to the lines of the movie because <laughs> there was just so much going like oh she's pretty oh she's really pretty i think you're the one who told me about the pizza scale so i thought yeah. i would bring it back around. yeah the pizza scale all so, right moving on uh since they're short vignettes there's not really a lot to say is the wrong man which was the wrong movie for me Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. I didn't. I, I thought the the acting was was great. The guy who's in it. Oh shoot, what is this? David Proval? Mm-hmm. No, no, not Siegfried. Uh, I'll find it in a second. But overall, it was okay. Jennifer Beals is great in it. At the time, she's married to the director of that segment, Correct. Alexander Rockwell. But she's great. She does a great slow play. I just felt like there wasn't as much chemistry in the storytelling to me. I thought all three of them, Jennifer Beals, uh, the gentleman who played Jennifer Beals' husband, and Tim Roth all kind of kicked ass in their own individual performance. Mm-hmm. They were all good at storytellers under themselves. But when you put the three of them together, it didn't mesh for me. It was like, listen, it was like watching, like they had done voiceovers in three separate rooms and then somebody had edited it together. Oh, interesting. Yeah. This one is, uh, is to me kind of what it sounds like. Um, the missing ingredient was to you sort of, it was pretty to look at and fine. It's, um, they're the, the Jennifer Beals and, and, and David, whatever his name is, are, are acting as they're a married couple and they are role playing. They have rented yep. this hotel room and they're role playing as a um, some a captor and a captive kind of a thing. And um, they need a third a third man. So it's called the wrong man. Um, they, they need a third person in their vignette mm-hmm. um, to incite and be a catalyst. And Tim Roth shows up and they just roll with it, assuming he's the guy that's supposed to show up. Yeah. But it turns out maybe that he's not. He's actually the bellman who's gone to the wrong door. That's what we know, but they don't know that. They just know they've they've made contact with somebody who's going to show up and be the the inciting moment. This is like a Craigslist encounter that goes horribly wrong before, horribly there, was, right. before there was a Craigslist. Yeah. Was Craigslist around ninety five? No. 
Yeah, so it's exactly... The internet wasn't around in 95. It's almost as if they put up a post, a couple looking for a kinky fellow to show up and role play this scene with us, and they don't... They've never seen the guy, obviously. They have Mm -hmm. no idea who the guy is. And then Tim Roth, wrong man, wrong place, stumbles into this and, and, and doesn't know he's role playing. Right. Well, and his performance, I think, over the four rooms gets um deeper and deeper i know that's a little bit weird to say for such a light fluffy movie yeah but he he gets more and more over the top and this is one the first time um since check-in and and you know in the missing ingredient he ends up having sex with ioni sky in a hot tub which ain't bad uh yeah and and yet this is the cauldron either way either way um (laughs) and uh this is the the first time he goes like what yeah what which become part of his <laughs> his comedic timing or whatever. So we so. that one that one's okay. It's, yes. it's it's definitely interesting. And we see Jennifer Beals again in The Man from Hollywood, so that kind of ties things together a little bit. But uh she's awesome. Just a yeah. just just wonderful, wonderful in that. I like it. And then we get into the misbehaviors. Oh, my favorite. So this is Robert Rodriguez directed, and it's about a family of four who are going to be in this hotel. Antonio Banderas and his wife are going to a party. They're all dressed up. The kids are all dressed up too. Um, But uh, at the last minute, he decides the kids are staying because he and his wife want to tie one on and have fun. And so the kids are going to stay in the room. Yes. And Antonio Banderas is playing his his hard-ass Mexican gangstery type guy, you know, looking great in his tux. It's the same role he's famous for, but it's a, very much a parody of it because he's dad trying to go out and have a nice night with his wife, and right. his two kids are in the way. Right. So uh, they stay in the room, and uh, not to put too fine a point on it, they stay in the room. Antonio Banderas calls the front desk, tells the bellman, I will give you $500. And bellman comes up, Tim Roth, I will give you $500 if my children, nothing happens to my children. And then he tell, says to them, don't misbehave. Don't misbehave. And things, uh, you know, go <laughs> awry from there. <laughs> because there's a nudie channel on the TV. Uh-huh. Interesting trivia. Salma Hayek Salma plays Hayek. The, the, you only see the sort of the, the bikini and the body. You don't right. really see the person. But that person is Salma Hayek. At the same time, he's shooting this. He's also shooting Desperado, I'm not Desperado, from Dust Till Dawn with, Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek both. So oh, yeah. he's friends of Rodriguez. And so they do this. Uh-huh. And um, she's actually credited. Um, she is. But, uh, but they're not allowed to watch the naughty boobies on TV. And every and then over and over again, they keep thinking their feet smell, something smells. And it turns out there's a dead prostitute um, in the in the box spring. Uh, and uh, and then the girl, there, so there's a girl and a boy. And the girl calls down to the front desk and orders around Tim Roth because she knows he's been hired to take care of her Mm -hmm. and literally says, there's a dead prostitute in the bed. And he's like, I was just there. There's no prostitute in the bed. She's like, and she loses her mind. And then he comes up and wigs out. Yeah, of course. And says, there's a whore in the bed. And this tiny little girl is like, don't call her a whore in 1995. And it made my whole day. (laughs) I love it. Spectacular. And there's drug paraphernalia left in the room. There's dirty needles. There's a dead hooker under the bed. And it's just, it's all, the whole thing is a great, Rodriguez did such a great job. There's a lot of cool little bits and punchlines showing the gradual tension between these kids and and, um, Tim Roth, but it's all a setup for the final moment when Antonio uh, Banderas comes back into the room. And the fucking room is on fire. The it is literally on literally fire on when fire. he walks back in. He's got his wife under his arm yep. like you would carry laundry. 
because she's passed out because she drank too much. The girl's slugging champagne. The boy is little boy. Little boy is smoking. Tim Roth has a dirty hypodermic needle sticking out of his leg, and is and holding there onto is the a leg. Bed. He's holding onto the leg of a dead hooker, and and the gangster Antonio Banderas comes. Did they misbehave? It's just it's spectacular. <laughs> yeah, it's spectacular. Now, what's interesting about that is. As, you're, as I watch that, I'm like, these kids are excellent at this point where I went to IMDb to look them up to see if they'd done anything else. And I wonder if this movie, this little segment was Antonio Banderas like, yeah, he's really good at directing kids. Let's let's get him for Spy Kids. You wonder if that's possible because the kids are great in it. Uh, I, I think maybe Rodriguez wrote part of Spy Kids, though. I think it oh, happened the okay. other way. Okay. I'm not really, I'm not positive about that, but I, I Rodriguez is, is a... Writer director, so I think he and Spy Kids was seven years after that, so I may be talking out of my ass. That's but, possible. But so at this point, though, uh, Rodriguez and Antonio Banderas has have worked together a whole bunch. They do Desperado, they do Once Upon a Time in Mexico, they do Four Rooms. They're, so they are that's a mutual appreciation society anyway. Sure. And I think that same thing is also true of Sama Hayek. Also does Once sure. Upon a Time in Mexico and whatever. There's a lot of that in this flick. A lot yeah. of help, which we'll get to in the next segment. Too. I want yeah. to say the kids are, are the kids siblings, actual siblings. I don't know. I didn't look that yeah. part up, okay. uh, but the kids, he does, he does such a great job. It's the, that, that scene. And if you Google four rooms on Google image search, you'll find bits of that scene because it's absolutely spectacular. So uh, he crushed that. He knocked it out of the park. And that would be my favorite if it were not for the man from Hollywood. Dum, dum, dum. Man from Hollywood is the one directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino, starring Quentin Tarantino. And he gets very tongue-in-cheek with it because he, of course, is the it boy of Hollywood at this point, having done Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. So what kind of role does he write for himself? A completely obnoxious, nouveau-reach Hollywood star. So when he's just come into all this money and Hollywood all this director. Fame. Hollywood director. Yeah. Coming all this money and all this fame. So he totally, totally makes fun of himself, which makes me love him even more. Yeah, I I have to be honest because oh, it's, it it pains me to say it in a public forum like this because I love Tarantino. He is truly he is like Kurt Cobain was to music. Mm-hmm. He comes on the scene, and I'm not saying he's the first person to ever change the world of movie making. He's right. not the last person to do it, but he changes Change when he shows up. He changes the game. Yep, just like Kurt Cobain did. That said. Oh my goodness, he's not an actor. <laughs> I wish he were, but he's not an actor. And if you're making such brilliant movies and you want to be in them, be in them. For sure. For sure. But what did you think about him in Dust Till Dawn though? He's not a good actor. <laughs> he's not a good actor. I like watching him because he's got that he's got those exaggerated facial features. He's mm-hmm. just a, he is a instantly different looking dude straight out of the gate, which they make fun of in mm-hmm. this in mm-hmm. A Man from Hollywood. And him playing a beady, dead-eyed, dead-eyed closet psychopath. I think that worked very well on Dust Till Dawn. But I'm, I'm totally in the uh, fan club of Quentin Tarantino. So. Right, and I'm a giant fan of Tarantino, the director. And I also am such a big fan of his movies and his storytelling ability. He wants to put himself in the movies. That's, I get that because you know, Sofia Coppola ended up in Godfather Three at the last minute, Ooh. and that wasn't great. That didn't but go well. she's also a good director, you know. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes you understand stories and storytelling. You're just not quite in the pocket for an acting role, and I think that was and it's that work. It doesn't really work for me, but it does work in this way. In Four Rooms, um, he's the man from Hollywood, but you see in this in the background as the story unfolds. Uh, Bruce Willis, dressed to the nines, Hollywood star, yep. like 
uh, he's got a tuxedo it's and he's walking back and forth in a bedroom and you see him walk by the door talking on the phone fighting with his wife yep and you're like i mean that's a good looking man (laughs) (laughs) you know and so it's kind of an an interesting duality there that that tarantino is poking fun at the nouveau riche new hollywood uh money direct moneyed director Mm -hmm. while bruce willis at the time in 95 is on top of the world top of the world yeah and um and is kind of the slow play supporting character. I yes. love that. <laughs> well, that and and this has a lot of the hallmarks of what makes Quentin Tarantino's movie so interesting, which is the actual storyline is I'm going to guess it's it's 15 uh, 15 is 20 say 20 minute. Well, they're each a half an hour maybe. They're mm-hmm. rough, roughly each 25 minutes. The actual storyline of the thing that happens in this Whereas Robert Rodriguez is a full through storyline building up to a giant punchline, uh, Quentin Tarantino, it's all little character development stuff that has nothing at all to do with the main focal point of the story. And Bruce Willis walking back and forth in front of that door, arguing with his, his wife on the phone, has n- it has absolutely nothing to do with what actually happens in the movie. And almost all the things going on, I always find that's what's fascinating about him. He reminds me so much of Stephen King and the mm-hmm. way he tells stories. And Stephen King can give you a bit character, give you one paragraph. Here's a vocal tick. Here is a physical mannerism. And mm-hmm. I'll repeat the guy's name three times in one paragraph. And then that character just totally sticks with you forever. That's what Quentin Tarantino's like. And, uh, I, the, another little thing like that, sorry to interrupt, yep. uh, is in that vignette is Jennifer Beals is there. Yeah. She's the same character that she was in her um, vignette but has gone to the pool after her husband goes to sleep and meets up with these folks and comes up to the man in Hollywood suite. Yep. And you, on sitting on the bar, at some point they all relocate to the bar that's in the suite. And sitting on the bar is a towel that has her bikini drying because she was down at the pool. They never mention it. They, right. they, they say like, oh, saw these people down at the pool early in the vignette and kind of, you know, drop it and leave. And then there's all these little things. She's got her hair in a towel and she's wearing a bathrobe. And of course, that means her bikini is drying on the bar. I love yeah. the little touches like that. And he has uh, another typical touch, like in Pulp Fiction, it's what's in a box, you know, or what's in a briefcase, excuse me. Yeah. And this, Tim Roth comes up with very important demands for room service. And you don't get to see what's on the room service table for a good 20 minutes. So almost 80% of the way through, like, okay, well, what did he bring up that was so important? And then they reveal these things one by one. And there's two throwaway things like the donut. Quentin Tarantino, one of the things, donut, that's for me. And just shoves the whole thing in his mouth and continues on. It's so many subtle little things that are just interesting. And the hallmark to me of his work is you have to watch it again. And probably three times to start catching all these little tiny random things that are thrown in there. But Bruce Willis, ma'am. We both know he's uncredited. He uh, he performed in the film for free as a favor to Quentin Tarantino, which violated the Screen Actors Guild rules. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they agreed not the Screen Actors Guild agreed not to sue one of the biggest box office stars at the time in the world if his name was not included in the credits. Yeah, well, Isn't that crazy. And that's, yeah, and there's a there's a conve- um, a convention. What is it, Alan Smithy, where during the blacklist and McCarthyism, people um, could attach, could uh, be part of a film, uh-huh. but um, not get a credit so that they wouldn't tarnish their their reputation, so to speak. And that, so it would show up as an Alan Smithy instead. Okay. And so he could have done that, but yeah, he's just completely uncredited because um, he can't. Because the problem with that is he's breaking the rules of his union and he's yeah. not getting paid. 
And that means that the bid actors, you could say, well, Bush... Bruce Willis didn't get paid. You expect oh, to get paid? Oh, I see. So you can't do that. And you I sh- think it's- You right. should be in this because Bruce Willison, and that's going to look great on your resume. I know. I mean, it's really good exposure. Good exposure, that, That's yeah. essentially what's happening. So <laughs> I he, didn't know that. Yeah. So he can't take- And that's actually pretty common. You can't- And so you see it a lot where there's a walk-on part. And and these days it can be- It's it's codified. So it, in, And Bruce Willis's part in Four Rooms does not qualify. But if it's quite short- if it's literally a cameo, like you're somebody, you're at a valet, and I don't know, Larry Bird gets in the car yeah. right in front of you, okay. and you go, "Oh my God, that's Larry!" Or the, the character goes, "Oh my God, that's Larry Bird." That can be credited Larry Bird as himself. Okay, but you can't play a character, and it has to be brief, and you can't get paid for it. Uh, this movie cost four million dollars to make, which I assume is one million dollars for each room. <laughs> it made 4.3 million domestic box office. It only played on 317 screens at the time, mm-hmm. which is very small. Even back then, that's a very, very small. So this was clearly a darling project of, of these people and mm-hmm. probably driven by Rodriguez and Tarantino, who were much bigger stars at the time than anybody else. Uh, yeah. And I would imagine, I don't know that I actually have no idea how it happened, but at the time, Quentin Tarantino was such a big deal. He just won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Okay. He was he was Miramax's darling boy. Yep. He literally could have said to Harvey Weinstein, like, I want to make this movie with my friends. Can you do this? Yep. And the Weinsteins were also on top of the world. They were very, very smart business people and movie makers and probably were like, sure, you could do it. I'm not giving you a ton of money. Why not? Yeah. Here's four million. Can you make it for four million? Yeah. Which was the goal. It's supposed to be indie people doing indie things. So that was the goal of it. Did you know, ma'am, the film was originally going to be called Five Rooms? No. With Richard Linkletter contributing <gasps> the segment. Oh. Buddy. If you don't know Richard Linkletter, Dazed and Confused. Oh, he yeah, did Dazed yeah. and oh, Confused. He did Before Midnight. He did After Midnight, or wow. Before Sunset and yeah. After Midnight. Okay. And he just did Boyhood, which is a movie it took 16 years to make. And oh, that guy. Okay. That guy. Okay. He lives and works in Austin. He's a he's a, obviously a friend of Robert Rodriguez, who's uh-huh. also Texas-based. Um, and at the time, had done Dazed and Confused and was... It was also a darling of the movie-making world. Uh, he's kind of a maverick, though, because he's never really relocated to Hollywood ever. Just done his thing in Texas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And last bit of trivia, Miss. The role of Ted was originally written with Steve Buscemi in mind. Oh, but he had to pass through his schedule. But you can see, that's one of those, Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi, you can see Steve Buscemi just popping right in there like, it's almost the same movie, right? I mean, I mean of course you would have done something different, but you can visualize. Yeah. It's not like, oh, Schwarzenegger as the bellhop. Okay, this is a different flick. Right. But Steve Buscemi is very similar actor to, to, to Tim Roth. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's interesting. I wanted to bring up one thing that I, I find um, parallels your one of your writing styles. And I this is a little bit of a peek behind the curtain in our office because I watch you um, make the sausage, so to speak. Uh-huh. And you frequently get upset about, well, this is working just fine, except there's no reason for them to be in this room, or there's no reason for them, or why wouldn't they just, you know, normal people would leave that hotel if it was on fire kind of thing. Uh And um, this is, um, for this story, the directors all agreed, like, you're going to, essentially, you're going to work within the confines of one hotel room. And it has to look and feel like a hotel room. It can't be super special. Like, yeah, the man from Hollywood has the the suite, the Howard Hughes suite up at the top that's uh-huh. fancier. But they're essentially hotel rooms. And um, 
I find that an interesting thing because they were writing and they were writing to direct specifically for this movie. It wasn't like one of them had a germ in their head, like, I want to write a hotel story. Yeah. They were hired to do this and they had those confines and they're quite different stories. And I find that interesting um, knowing that you do that same thing so frequently where you're like, okay, so you talk about it with Infected. You wanted to write a movie. I mean, you wanted to write a book that would visually would be easy. And in the set was essentially Perry's apartment. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and so there's an interesting parallel. Uh, yes, and and I do that a lot. I get invited more and more now to write in anthologies, and you are given a specific like, okay, you're going to write. What's one I got coming up? Uh, pick pick this demon and put this demon in this particular setting, and so it all fits in the context. You can write your own story, but it all fits in the context of the book, and that's what they did here. Uh, ma'am, I think we should finish up with some uh, some of the wonderful critical comments about this movie. Yeah. So let us not let let's not make any mistake. Well, you you will hear once we're done talking about the critics. But this movie, you most people love to hate. This is not a well received movie. No, <laughs> I love it. But... I love it too. I'm a big huge. The last two segments are. They make me so happy just to watch them. I love right, them. and especially since you can watch it digitally now, it's a different thing to have had to go to the movies and sit through two, mm, you know, not great, not world yes. upsetting the world ablaze kind of vignettes, and then Rodriguez and Tarantino. Right, um, and there were a lot of people I'm sure who did exactly that. Like I want to see Tarantino and Rodriguez bits because they're the hottest things in Hollywood right now. But yeah, if you're gonna watch it, don't. Don't think that we're saying that this is the best movie you've ever seen. Right. Probably not. It's, not. it's not the best. If they made it now, it would have just been like, great, this is a little Netflix thing. Here we go. We're throwing this up on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Not, this, not to belittle anything that's going up on Netflix now. That's not my point. But back then, 317 screens. It's just like, great, here's $4 million, kid. Go make your fun movie and then come back and make us a billion dollars at the box office. Yeah. Now that would just show up you know, on Hulu or something like that. Just a, a fun project. So talking about the critics, uh, this movie is hammered. On Rotten Tomatoes. Just hammered. What does hammered mean? At 14%. Oh, you got to hate to hear it. That's almost, I mean, it's approaching single digits. It's approaching some of the worst movies ever on on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, However, the audiences gave it a 69%. So there's a huge, and the audiences always trend higher than the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. I look at Rotten Tomatoes a lot. It's always, you know, 10 to 15 points higher. Um, Usually, unless it's a unless it's a, a an Oscar darling, something that's specifically written to be an Oscar, that'll usually be 85, 90% by the critics and the average moviegoer will be like 60%. Like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? <laughs> they don't like it. But for this, meant to be a movie to, to go out and entertain fans, 14% from Rotten Tomatoes and 69% from the people. Um, we, have, we, have some, we have some quotes. Yeah, my favorite. Um, so I'll start with Janet Maslin, who writes for the New York Times or wrote for the New York Times. Then she said, the less said about this career denting fiasco, oof, the better. <laughs> I know. And I don't know, I don't know if what Jennifer Beals did after this, but it could have been, this could have dented some careers. Maybe it did. Um, I like uh, Jack Matthews from the Los Angeles Times. His quote sounds better than it is. Very yeah. simple and very insulting. Yeah. <laughs> And then the golden star of movie reviewing, Roger Ebert, who I love so much, um, was still writing for the Chicago Sun-Times and Alive in 95. He yeah. said, uh, the four segments are widely different in quality. On the useful scale of the Michelin guides, one is worth a trip, w- another is worth a detour, and the other two are a colossal waste of bandwidth. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is also we did watch this digitally so there yeah. you go yeah. and he didn't specify which ones he liked yeah, which I ones fi- he didn't i find that the most interesting that he didn't <laughs> say which was which and then edward guthman from the san francisco chronicle said the result is a batch of shrill self-indulgent sketches that turn so wretched in spots you start to wonder if the filmmakers wanted them to be bad yeah and i you know it's interesting we talked on an earlier story smack about how it used to be domestic box office ruled the world. Yep. You had to do well at the domestic box office, but then the world of movie making and movie watching changed, uh-huh. and that's no longer true. And I have to wonder if there is value in considering where you watch it. Is this worth going out to the theater for that's versus is this okay for you to watch digitally on your couch during lunch? That's a great point. I, I don't know if I would have enjoyed this as much. I mean, I watched, first time I watched this was on VHS, I believe. Right, probably. But if I had gone to the theater and dropped whatever, however, however much money it was at the time, right. I would have been already mad by the time I got to Quentin or to Robert Rodriguez's segment. So right, I would have exactly. been pissed off. Right, and not only that, like we we have done this where we went to see um, uh, last winter, we went to see Hateful Eight. Yep. Uh, because we're both big Tarantino fans. And I think it was like this week last year. We did slow week at the office because it's between Christmas and New Year's, whatever we go. And then the whole like, and then go grab lunch and talk the whole time about this or that or this or that or this. And this movie doesn't really have that. You wouldn't go out on a date or go out with your business partner like we did or go out with your family, watch this, then go sit down and talk about it for two hours. So if you're going to spend all that money and time, like you say, irreplaceable things, yep. um, you maybe want more. It absolutely changes your going to the movies, going to a theater completely changes. You want, yeah, you want way more. Yeah. If so, I'm going to spend the money and spend the time, you got you better rock my world, man. Right, 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 right. So I think that it, this is a great, this is a great movie that you can stop to make popcorn, talk to your mom on the phone, yep. scoot through the ones you don't like. It's definitely worth a, an, an easy watch if you're homesick on the couch. Um, but I don't know that it would have been, I, I might've been a little more upset had I gone to the theater. I think so. Uh, I would like to wish all the people listening to Story Smack and Scott Sigler audiobooks and Pandemic and everything else, Happy New Year. Yeah. So so this, uh, this is Friday and tomorrow is New Year's Eve. And yes. we will come back to you on Sunday with a full uh, segment of Pandemic. And that will be 2017 when we come at you with Pandemic Week 2017. And we'll be back for our first movie review of 2017 will be... The classic Galaxy Quest. Oh, I'm so excited. Everybody watch it. Everybody, Everybody watch, watch it. it. Rewatch Galaxy Quest so you can be in on it with us. And uh, if, if they have questions, uh, I believe you're going to go into our outro now, ma'am. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 it's okay. That's, they can see how the sausage is made. That's fine. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that is our show for this week. If you have questions for Scott or for me, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode of Story Smack, please email me at info at emptyset.com. That's I-N-F-O at emptyset.com. You can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find this podcast online at scottsigler.com slash storysmack, and we would love to see your comments there. You can find us on iTunes by searching Scott Sigler Audiobooks and subscribe for us. You get a free audiobook episode every Sunday, like we mentioned. Right now it's pandemic, and a big hit of Story Smack on Fridays. 
So come back for the next episode, and we will talk some smack about Galaxy Quest. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my two wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. The one thing I constantly hear successful people say, without fail, is that they wish they'd spent more time with their kids. That's time no one can get back. So I decided to create Business Dad, to engage in the conversation about how we're spending our time now, providing a forum for successful dads to share their joys and challenges of being a working parent. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier. And while this podcast will talk about business and will definitely be featuring dads, I think everyone can learn something from these incredible conversations as we unpack the expectations we all have about careers, relationships, and ourselves. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.